Hey everybody, and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Control Up, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control Up, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Policy Pack Software, now part of Networks, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. On last week's episode, I reported about the Y2K22 bug and its effect on Microsoft Exchange and email. Over the days that followed that episode being published, Multiple other vendors and products were reportedly hit by a similar Y2K22 bug, which again, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, is caused by the date format being used being erroneous when the date rolled over to 2022. So, you know, similar to what many thought was going to happen with the Y2K bug, but was luckily avoided for the most part back then because proactive measures were put in place. Well, this Y2K22 bug kind of snuck up on everyone. It's not something that was widely reported on ahead of time. But SonicWall was one of those vendors whose products were affected, with a report by BleepingComputer.com suggesting that message log updates and junk box failures started for customers on January 1st, 2022. This has a large impact as email users and administrators were no longer able to access the junk box or unjunk newly received emails on affected systems. Those hit with the bug were also no longer able to trace incoming and outgoing emails using the message logs because they were no longer being updated. Now, thankfully, if you're listening to this now and you use those products, updates are available to fix the issue. But that was not the only Y2K22 bug. Honda and Acura car owners began reporting that their in-car navigation system's clocks would automatically get knocked back 20 years to January 1st, 2002. The reports by Bleep Computer say that the Y2K22 bug impacts almost all older car models, including the Honda Pilot, Odyssey, CRV, Ridgeline, Odyssey, and Acura MDX, RDX, CSX, and TL. Honda have not shared their plans to fix the problem as of the recording in this episode. As it's been a couple weeks now since January 1st, I'm hoping or expecting that that will be the last report on Y2K22 bugs, as there shouldn't be more that are coming to light, although you never know. I guess we'll see. And a story that keeps rolling on, the Log4j vulnerability continues to be targeted by cyber gangs. ZDNet reports an advisory by NHS Digital says that an unknown threat group is attempting to exploit a Log4j vulnerability in VMware Horizon servers to establish web shells that could then be used to distribute malware and ransomware, steal sensitive information, and complete other malicious attacks. So if you're not familiar with web shells, I've talked quite a bit about them in other news stories, but 
hackers can get into a system, leave these web shells behind, and essentially it's kind of laying dormant until they launch an attack. It's essentially their back door or their way for them to get in and wreak havoc when they feel the time is right. The attacks organizations are being warned about exploit the log for shell vulnerability in the Apache Tomcat service embedded with VMware Horizon. And once the weaknesses have been identified, the attack uses the lightweight Active Directory Access Protocol, LDAP, to execute a malicious Java file that injects a web shell into the VM Blast Secure Gateway service. If successfully exploited, attackers can establish persistence on the affected networks and use this to carry out a number of malicious activities. Also on Log4j, Bleepy Computer also reported that hackers believed to be part of the Iranian APT35 state-backed group have been observed leveraging Log4 shell attacks to drop a new PowerShell backdoor. The modular payload can handle C2 communications, perform system enumeration, and eventually receive, decrypt, and load additional modules. So this one is using that Log4j vulnerability along with PowerShell to do all sorts of nasty things from a command server. And to tie a bow on the Log4j for this week, and I'm sure it's going to keep rolling on and on, but it has also been reported that the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, or the FTC, has warned that it will go after any U.S. company that fails to protect its customers' data against ongoing Log4j attacks. So if your organization has not been proactive in scanning the environment to see if there's potential vulnerability there, I think that's going to be a hell of an incentive if you have a U.S. company um, to do just that and to make sure that you cover all bases. Numescent just launched a new product called CloudPager that they state is the only container management platform for Windows desktops. They state CloudPager makes it easy to create, automate, and manage even the most complex desktop environments from the cloud across your existing and latest Windows technologies, such as Azure Virtual Desktop, Windows 365, and Windows 11. They also state CloudPager brings modern DevOps and Agile technologies, such as Kubernetes and Docker, to manage today's modern Windows desktops. So my understanding is you know, they're not bringing Kubernetes and Docker as they are to Windows, but their technology is like a similar modern DevOps and Agile technology similar to Kubernetes and Docker, but for that Windows desktop and those Windows applications. They say this simplifies desktop application management while instantly modernizing your existing Windows desktops and formats, uh, including AppV, for the latest Windows technologies that also includes MSIX. And on the topic of MSIX, they say they make it as simple as dragging and dropping your existing MSIX packages and then just publishing them from CloudPager by targeting end users and um, potentially publishing them in the CloudPager storefront. And as it's container management, one of the great features is obviously the ability to have applications auto-update, but also it does revision history and you're able to quickly roll back to a previous state. So if you update an application, you push out that update and something goes wrong, just go back one in the revision history and roll back to that. CloudPager also supports hybrid on-premises and multi-cloud support for AWS and Google Cloud. 
and integrates with Azure Active Directory so you can assign to Azure AD groups, users, and devices within minutes. So over the last six or seven years of my career, I've spent the majority of that time with a virtualization focus. So, you know, actually my entire career has been with a virtualization focus to some point, mostly application virtualization. But a lot of that time previously was delivering virtual applications onto physical desktops. But over the last, the majority of the last decade, I've been working more with VDI and RDSH. And more recently, obviously, you know, desktop as a service and these cloud offerings. And I feel like Cloud Pager is a really, really good fit for um, those cloud offerings in particular, but also VDI as well. So I'd be very interested to try it out with Citrix. I don't have a Citrix environment in my lab yet. I just upgraded my lab. But I'd love to try it out and say, set up what they call a workbench and assign a group of applications to maybe an Azure AD group of my Citrix servers have the application set to auto-deploy, and then publish those applications out through Citrix Studio. So no more updating my PVS image, no more needing to you know, update an MCS snap to update an application. It all lives outside of the image management. It's all dynamic. But they also have this really simple to set up and use storefront capability too. So you can create a store and publish out a group of applications to like a user or a group of users where it's a web portal and they're just able to launch apps from there. That's if you don't want to auto deploy and have the shortcuts show up in like the start menu or the desktop that most people might be more familiar with and might expect. But if you do want a web portal, that feature is there too to make apps just available rather than maybe those required applications. What's particularly interesting for me too is the idea of not just deploying the cloud paging apps, which I love because cloud paging has the highest rate of success. It could do things like drivers, complex component services, and um, low level system components and other things that older application virtualization technologies and um, some other dynamic delivery technologies can't handle when d delivering apps dynamically. So you've already got that high rate of success with their package format. But now you're able to kind of pick and mix and have, you know, AppV, they say, MSIX, and cloud paging together and deploy all of these application types with a container management type ethos. So I'm pretty excited about it. I'm hopefully going to blog about it more. I did get access to a preview version and I did a quick demo of it for the festive tech calendar session that I did. I've had access for the last couple of months. I've done some things but I would like to ramp up my home lab some more and get things like Citrix in there and test it further. But uh, I'll be sure to blog and share some more information about it since I do have access. And if you'd like to check it out for yourself, I'll share a link with this episode to numesson.com slash cloudpager, uh, where they've got some other details about the product. This week, I saw an interesting report that was shared about a major incident that occurred within 20 of the NHS's systems, and the outage was caused by a patch that went wrong. So a major incident caused by a patch that went wrong, which at least used to happen a lot. The report stated that the patch was by an international software provider. So a bit vague. And to make matters worse, the admins were recommended by the vendor to uninstall the patch, but when they did, it resulted in data loss. I think this story is a good reminder to 
have a well-regimented patching process that includes at least one pilot phase and thorough testing. Some organizations and some IT workers feel it's better to patch quickly, but I would argue you could still patch quickly and pilot the patches. You know, it might take 10 days or less to pilot and then deploy to the rest of the machines in your organization. It doesn't have to take a long time. And clearly at least a little bit of testing is better than none and ending up with a systemic problem that brings down 20 of your healthcare systems. And since I did just talk about CloudPager and the fact that it has a revision history and you can roll back to a previous known state, you know, they said international software provider. Well, if it was a patch for a particular application, theoretically, if they use CloudPager, they could just roll back to a previous state and everything should be good. So funny, the story right after the CloudPager announcement actually shows some of the value of CloudPager. Apple iPhone users with iOS 15 in Europe have started to share screenshots online of the private relay feature being blocked by their carriers. If you're not familiar, private relay is a VPN service available via Apple's iCloud service. Vodafone, Telefonica, and T-Mobile all signed an open letter voicing their opposition to the rollout of the feature. The letter said that Private Relay cuts off networks and servers from accessing vital network data and metadata and will have significant consequences in terms of undermining European digital sovereignty. They say it will also impact operators' ability to efficiently manage telecommunication networks. A 9-5 Mac article theorizes that the carriers are particularly worried because this form of VPN is so accessible to many, many users, whereas other VPN services are so far third-party services and require someone to be savvy enough to know about them, to seek them out, and to pay for the services. They also reported that Private Relay and other VPN services block the carrier's ability to upsell internet features based on your phone plan, like compressing images or restricting HD video streaming to more expensive tiers. Availability of Private Relay is already restricted by geography. In compliance with some other local laws, Apple already do not offer this in China, Belarus, Colombia, Egypt, Kazakhstan, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, Turkmenistan, Uganda, and the Philippines. So whether or not EU countries and the UK, because the UK were also listed here, but it would be interesting to see if the EU countries and the United Kingdom also end up on that list where the feature is not available. I guess we'll see. NVIDIA announced that it has acquired HPC cluster management company Bright Computing for an undisclosed sum. The press release states that Bright Computing makes software that automates the building and management of Linux clusters, both on-premises, in the cloud, and across hybrid infrastructures. NVIDIA has been working with Bright for more than a decade, integrating Bright cluster management with NVIDIA's GPUs, CUDA, and most recently, the company's DGX systems. As stated, it's an undisclosed sum, so the press release does not contain any of the monetary details. VMware have shipped updates to VMware Workstation, Fusion, and ESXi products to address an important security vulnerability that could be weaponized by a threat actor to take control of affected systems. 
The issue relates to a heap overflow vulnerability, which is being tracked as CVE-2021-22045 and has a severity score of 7.7 .7 out of 10. And with this vulnerability, if successfully exploited, it results in the execution of arbitrary code or a CAN. Yanis Kapp, a security researcher with Clarified Security, is being credited with reporting the flaw. The Hacker News reports that the error affects ESXi versions 6.5, 6.7, and 7.0, VMware Workstation versions 16.x, and VMware Fusion versions 12.x, with the company yet to release a patch for ESXi version 7. A mitigation being recommended is to disable all CD-ROM DVD devices on all running virtual machines to prevent any potential exploitation. So patch when you can and consider that mitigation in the meantime. Microsoft have released an emergency out-of-band update to address a Windows Server bug leading to remote desktop connection and performance issues. Microsoft stated that those experiencing the issues may get a black screen, slow login, or just general slowness. And the affected platforms include Windows Server 2022, Server 2019, Server 2016, and Server 2012 R2. The updates that address this issue are not available via Windows Update, which is typical for an out-of-band, so they won't be installing automatically on affected systems. You can get the standalone update packages for the various different versions in links within the knowledge base articles. And I'll share a link with this episode to the bleepycomputer.com report that contains links to the KBs. And you'll find that under 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 212. On the topic of patches, Microsoft have released patches to address 96 vulnerabilities as part of this month's Patch Tuesday. Six of the vulnerabilities in question that are being patched were zero-day vulnerabilities. And they covered a wide array of different Microsoft technologies, including Windows Event Tracing, Windows User Profile Service Elevation, Windows User Profile Service, Windows Certificates, the Security Center API, and more. One vulnerability being fixed this month is CVE-2022-21849 that has a severity score of 9.8 out of 10. With this vulnerability, the Windows Internet Key Exchange could be manipulated by a threat actor to activate several exploits without proper authority. CVE-2022-21840 is a Microsoft Office remote code execution flaw that was also fixed along with other vulnerabilities in RDP, SharePoint Server, Active Directory Domain Services, Windows Kerberos, and more. So patch, patch, patch. Leapacomputer.com reported that users have noticed that recently received email may not be appearing in Outlook search after installing KB5008212. If you experience this for yourself, there is a workaround by modifying a registry key, and I'll share a link to that with this episode again, which is episode 212. Look on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. Just a quick note here on an issue that did occur. Uh, that has now been resolved, but Dean Ellerby on Twitter raised the alarm this week that all of his Active Directory domain-joined and registered Windows 11 devices started failing to sync with a sync-could-not-be-initiated error. 
It looks like the problem went on for several hours. It was acknowledged by Microsoft and there was a status update provided, but the issue should now be resolved. There is a pretty lengthy thread on tech community about Explorer performance issues on Windows 11. And this isn't just one person, this is multiple people discussing it. So it does appear to be a thing with one person stating, quote, we have both OneDrive and Dropbox desktop applications running and syncing files. Some of us are having issues with the OneDrive sync to computer online only options not being available in the file explorer context menu, but it works fine for some of us. The slowness varies. For me, it is about the time it takes to make a small black coffee. For others, it is a full espresso and a side of fresh baked biscotti amount of time. <laughs> which takes very long as our espresso machine is not automatic. Nice. <laughs> so if you do notice that you've got some Windows 11 Explorer performance issues, you might want to check out this article and uh, reply in the comments too. Tom Hickling gave a heads up about an upcoming feature for Windows 365 and Azure Virtual Desktop that should be available in March 2022. Users on AVD and Windows 365 will be able to give and take control during calls and meetings on Microsoft Teams. So if you're frustrated by your lack of ability to do that on the virtual desktops, just know that that is coming. There's been a recent update to the remote desktop client that also included some updates to Teams for Azure Virtual Desktop and improved client logging, diagnostics, and error classification to help admins troubleshoot connection and feed issues. Um, fixed an issue where the Azure Active Directory credential prompt appeared in the wrong monitor. Fixed an issue that caused a redirected camera to give an incorrect error code when camera access was restricted in privacy settings on the client device and more. For the full release notes, again, I've already said it, but you can check out the link that I share with this episode. My buddy and colleague Trenton Tai shared a really interesting Twitter thread this week by Benji Weber that illustrates the true impact of losing staff. The illustration shows that even if you replace a person quite quickly who just left with maybe someone with equal industry experience, there is still a significant cost and impact. It is very interesting stuff and particularly topical with the great resignation in full swing. I know that when I lived in the U.S. before the pandemic, I remember reading that McDonald's had a 150% staff turnover. It boggled my mind. Like, how could they ever operate optimally? They must have been constantly training in new staff. People tend to write off retail and service workers as low-skilled, but having worked some of those jobs myself, there's plenty to learn, and every business does things at least slightly differently. Most do things very differently. You don't just grasp it in your first day or even in your first few weeks. There's a lot to take in, a lot of different procedures. Uh, those tills, those registers, they might seem pretty simple, but they're not. There's a lot of combinations and things you got to learn. So constantly onboarding new staff, they've got to be just dealing with managers having to go to the registers, back to the fryers and all kinds of things because people are confused and don't know what to do. It's so silly, but it's interesting to see this illustrated and it's not just a problem, obviously for retail and service workers, it applies to IT teams and pretty much every type of role and team that you could work on. 
I saw a really interesting article this week on windowscentral.com talking about Patchwork, which is a threat actor based in India who accidentally infected itself with a remote administration Trojan or a rat. If you're not familiar with what a rat is, these have been used by even low-level hackers for decades now. They were used for hacking into people's web cameras, for hammering them with unsolicited messages and pop-ups on their PCs. Uh, this ironic incident was discovered by Malwarebytes, who took the opportunity to gain insight as to how Patchwork utilizes RTF files to spread their particular brand of rat. The hacker in this case was trying to impersonate Pakistani authorities as part of his own ruse. And this fact, plus much more of what they were carrying out or using in their attacks, was only discovered because they had their remote administration Trojan on their systems. So essentially what they used to gain all kinds of information on their victim gave information to Malwarebytes to find out exactly what they were doing, how they were carrying out their attacks, and more. Even like nitty gritty details like what the local weather was in their area from the machine that they were using. And all because they accidentally left their own hacking tool on their machine. Dope. Now there is no suggestion that they can actually nab this hacker. And as I've reported often before, when these criminals operate from other countries, it is almost impossible to get them arrested unless the nations are cooperative, which is rarely the case. Let me just wrap up the news with some quick hit stories. VMware on Tuesday announced the general availability of Tanzu application platform, which is designed to help customers quickly build and deploy software on any public cloud or on-premises Kubernetes cluster. Microsoft released a preview of their Azure Stack HCI sizing tool. So if you're interested in running Azure Stack in your data center and you're wondering about sizing, check out this tool. There's a new preview version of Windows Package Manager, or WinGet, which appears to bring mostly fixes and document tweaks, but I did notice it also includes support for 64-bit on ARM64. Ned Pyle gave a reminder on Twitter that Windows Server 2016 mainstream support ended this week. So if you're on Server 2016, time to start making shapes to move. Congrats to the awesome Brad Rowland and Remote 3 as it was announced that Brad has joined as Chief Marketing Officer. Finally, be sure to apply to become a VMware vExpert as the applications close on Friday, January 14th. My colleague Wouter actually posted a really great blog that's an, a recipe for your application. So if you are interested in becoming a vExpert, check out his blog post when filling out the application. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Jose Espetia stated on Twitter that his organization were receiving multiple reports of Edge 97 starting up at logon. He provided a registry setting that disables the auto run on logon. I think I saw Gerard replied saying that you could also potentially just disable the schedule task as well, which certainly as he said himself, would work just fine on a non-persistent machine. For physical machines, you may want to look at using this registry setting. It's up to you. 
James Kinden published a great blog this week where he clarified Azure Virtual Desktop and Citrix Cloud. Um, so what each does, what it provides, and possibly more importantly, what each product is not. Sandra Rose Muller published a blog on securing and optimizing Azure Virtual Desktop and Cloud PC using Microsoft Endpoint Manager while using the security baseline that I mentioned on last week's episode that Christian Brinkhoff shared had just been released. So very timely and check it out. Ronnie Hamilton shared a blog post that he created on enabling two-factor authentication for Citrix Cloud. Richard Carvello posted a blog on how to remote assist autopilot deployments with Quick Assist, which autopilot has become much more widely used with everyone working from home. So this is definitely going to be useful to many people. I also saw a kind of year in review, a PowerShell year in review by Matthew Douse for 2021 that covers some great PowerShell stuff that happened in the last year. Matt Call shared a PSA on Twitter, advising everyone to change their auto storage for your screen capturing tool to OneDrive. You'll thank yourself later for it. Yeah, that's true. Mick Hilhort shared a tool he created to help lock down your child's computer when the teacher is teaching. Essentially, the tool locks the child's mouse and keyboard run from a parent's PC, and it's runnable on your own LAN. Delightfully devilish. Mick also officially released his Turbo ADC product, which is, which is a toolkit that helps with updating your SSL profiles to the a status. He said that changes were made and community support was added and the speed is heavily optimized. So check that out if you're using ADCs. Once again, my buddy and colleague Trenton Tai had a blog post this week on the awesome Analyze Logon Duration script that was shared with the community a couple of years ago and has been lovingly updated and kept up to date and maintained by Guy Leach and Trenton too. And it's got even better now. So if you use that script in your environment, whether you're a control up customer or not, definitely check out this article because it's been made even better. I also saw that Trenton shared a blog post by his brother Trevor that is now an oldie but a goodie as it was published in 2018, but it is still relevant and it piqued my interest as Trenton and I had a conversation on a similar topic this week. The blog post is on fast active directory replication and change notification. So at a previous organization, we had Microsoft consultants come in to help optimize our Active Directory replication. So it was very interesting to see a blog post on the topic and kind of compare it to what they had told us. And finally, I think this may be the longest episode of the podcast. <laughs> I apologize, but I want to say I forgot last week to say that I did pick the winner for the Five Bytes podcast holiday tech giveaway. I published the video, I think, on the 1st of January, and that's available on the YouTube channel for the podcast if you want to see me completing the draw live, or was live at the time. And the winner was Sandra Rose Muller, who I just featured in the scripts, tricks, and tips. So congratulations, Sander. He told me he already received the stream deck. The book is on its way from sunny or not-so-sunny Oregon, <laughs> and the Raspberry Pi should be on its way, too. So congratulations again, Sander. Thank you, everyone, who entered. And that's it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. <laughs>